around, everyone? Welcome back. It's Jay Scott, and it is The Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. Thanks again for tuning in. We always do appreciate it. We are part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, a great network of music-related podcasts. A lot of different types of podcasts on Pantheon Podcast, including the official Metallica podcast. So check that out. That's pretty cool, as well as many others. You can find them at PantheonPodcast.com, as well as Twitter, Instagram, Threads, and Facebook at Pantheon Pods. And you can do the same with The Hook Rocks on all four of those platforms at The Hook Rocks. So please give us a follow. You can also like, subscribe, and follow wherever you podcast. The Hook Rocks is available on all podcast platforms. Something, uh, Some great episodes starting off the first of the year. Sure, since the first of the year, we started with our top 25 albums of 2023. We also had Joe Satriani. Todd Damakern, Sophie Lloyd, The Gems, a lot of different great artists uh, so far this year. We had Matt Wake on, the great rock journalist, and uh, we just did the Music Insider episode, the first one of the year, where we go back into Live Nation and Ticketmaster and AI and all that stuff that's impacting the music business. So check that out and more great stuff for you all to listen to. In fact, We've got another excellent episode for you today. I got to tell you, you guys hear me rave about the band Rival Sons. It's one of my favorite bands over the last 10 to 15 years. Absolutely phenomenal. I saw them in Chicago probably like nine years ago. Buddy took me and I had liked them. I liked listening to them, but I never had seen them live. And they played at the House of Blues and I, they blew the doors off the place and I was blown away and I, they are one of those bands that anytime they come to Chicago, I have to go see them because they put on a phenomenal show, an incredible show. They've got incredible music, and it's a great pleasure to welcome their guitar player, Mr. Scott Holiday. What's going on, man? How are you? Jay, nice to see you, buddy. Yeah, thanks for doing this. Like I said, this has been one of the, you guys have been one of the bands I've been wanting to have on here, and I love your guitar playing stylistically, tone-wise, all that kind of stuff. We'll get into that. So thank you again. It's going to be a pleasure getting to know you over the last 40 minutes or the next 40 minutes or so. This is an amazing thing. Your name is Jay Scott. My partner in this band is Jay Buchanan. There's a lot of Jay Scott going on in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Maybe that's the, the, uh, the motivation for my podcast name to be created was. I think you're such fun. a fan. You just changed your name to our names, dude. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Well, we always ask the same first question every time we have a first-time guest on the show, and that is the essence of what we're all about. Just like every great rock song has a hook that pulls you in, every rock fan has a moment, whether it's a song, an album, a band, or performance that hooked them on rock and roll. What was it for you? Oh, wow. Um, I was I was already, as a young kid, listening to a lot of rock and roll with my family and listening to, to what they played at parties and stuff. But there is a definitive moment, <clears throat> I think, where I felt like I want to play guitar and I, I want to go down that road, you know. And uh, my Uncle Ted uh, was really young at the time. I think he was probably only in his early 20s. And he he lived next door to my grandma. So we were hanging out with grandma for the holidays. And he said, come over to my place. I want to show you something. It was just kind of an uncle. And I went, okay, let's go. So I go over to his place and um, he's got um, song remains the same on T on his TV. And he's like the classic guy, like the little TV, like regular TVs from the eighties, but he's got the stereo system hooked up with like quadraphonic, big amp, like big loud sound. And he's playing me song remains the same. Since I've been loving you, I think specifically is what he played for me. He turned it up way too loud for a kid to listen to. And I remember just watching it and listening and watching him get goosebumps and get excited and his roommate get excited and just feeling like, I feel like that too. And I think I was, gosh, eight years old or some nine years old, like a really young kid and just felt like I get it. This is exactly how I feel, how you guys feel, hair on the arms. This is so cool. This is what I want to do. I think this is what I want in life. And I started really getting into guitar probably a few years later when I was about 11, 12 years old. But that was a moment that, that I remember forever <clears throat> just feeling just feeling uh, 
kind of inundated and also indoctrinated to, to rock and roll in a proper way. I know the feeling. I was a huge Kiss fan and kind of the glam metal hard rock scene of the 80s growing up. And it was 91. I was going into my junior year of high school. My cousin from California came with this duffel bag of Zeppelin bootlegs. <laughs> and he stayed for like three weeks. And all I were listened to for three weeks were Zeppelin bootlegs. Yeah. And by the time, <laughs> like by the time he left, I was on another level of music. I was not listening to any of the 80s stuff anymore. I was focused on Zeppelin, just absolutely amazing. And I've been a fan of, of them ever since. I grew up during the 80s too. And uh yeah, it's it's there's something I, I got into a bunch of these hair bands too, because that's what was happening and and it kind of leaked in from the late seventies and the sixties and all this kind of rock and roll. That's what, that's what you listened to. If you wore a jean jacket or a leather jacket and had ripped up jeans and long hair and you were a rock and roll kid, just and all that stuff. So, but, but I was so much drawn into the more into the sixties and early seventies rock and roll that it just made a lot of the eighties rock and roll feel very watered down. Like, uh, it had lost unfortunately lost uh, a lot of substance and really just it got so far away from like the the epicenter or the the uh, like the 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 spark point you know what i mean so i kind of stayed in that world too as a young kid which was really weird through the 80s to be like none of my friends were doing that you know but i'm sure you had a similar feeling like oh i'm into these 80s acts and then all of a sudden you go through your zeppelin bootlegs and go I don't think I can go back. I, I think I saw behind the curtain and I don't want to go back ever again. Well, I remember watching that song remains the same. And one of my favorite things to do now is to watch these reaction videos to since I've been loving you. Yeah. Because it's an amazing performance, both Jimmy and Robert and, and, and John and, and, uh, and both John, John Paul Jones and John Bonham are just absolutely amazing but it's hilarious when you watch these women do reaction videos to since I've been loving you. And by midway through the song, they're like getting turned on because of plan. Yeah, they're getting all flush. Blushing. <laughs> getting all- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely, if you have a chance to do that, anyone listening or you yourself, Scott, I mean, it's just, it's, you can go down a rabbit hole of the, since I've been loving you reactions and you can see the moment, <laughs> When the woman who's watching the reaction, she's talking through it, gets that moment where like, oh, my God, this is turning me on. It's just, it's a funny thing to watch. It's actually, <laughs> actually hilarious. <laughs> um, and I'm trying to think of, is, is there rock and roll that does that for women now? Is it even the same thing? Is music even the same thing? Does it do that to people in the same way? It seems like it's in very hard extremes. Like when you think how sexualized music has become in the pop world. And um, it's it's like like crude almost, right? You have like songs like WAP. You have like all these like it's like so far over the line. When I look at rock and roll, I'm thinking, is it still like that for people? It's a kind of a whole different thing. Like even for us, a lot of our fan base is like not not all of it, but there's a large older audience fan base because that's a lot of people who listen to rock and roll. There's a lot of older people. From the 80s or even from the 70s, I like still want to hear new young bands play rock and roll. Is it the same thing for, for young kids like rock and roll and feeling like, whoa, whoa? Well, there is definitely a quote unquote continental divide, I think, between generations with I, I think the generation that we belong to understands sitting with something and listening to it and listening to it over and over again, not clicking midway through to the next song and all that stuff. I think we're from that generation where we understand the art form, where I think the younger generation doesn't on a, on a, in a huge percentage, the vast majority is getting pulled in so many different directions and having so many things come at them so fast that they don't understand and appreciate what it means to just sit with an album for two weeks and listen to nothing else when you get in the car on your headphones or anything. And I think, because and that works really well, uh, or it works okay for pop music and, and certain types of music, but there's other types of music it doesn't work well for. 
rock and roll being key to that, that there's layers. Um, I can say that about my, my own band. We, we write music and record music in a way that it's layers. And you can't peel all the way down on the first listen. Certainly not in the first 15 seconds. You kind of like have to let it un- unveil itself. So you have to like listen and hear what's happening and then kind of peel it down. Jazz music is like that as well. You can't just hear 15 seconds of a jazz song. What 15 seconds are you hearing? The head? Like a big solo section from one of the, like from who? It's it's so detailed, you know? The rest point that feels so unbelievable and like the breath in a song. Um, so yeah, we're dealing with that right now. And I think for the first time in history, we're seeing rock and roll much more in the category of, because of that, uh, jazz or blues or whatever, punk or, or whatever, where rock and roll was, was Rome, you know, it was like it ruled for so long and it was people had time for it. And we're in an interesting time that less people have time like that. They, they want, you know, they want even us, now. even you and I, cause we're on, we're online. We're doing that shit too. We're looking for 10 seconds and going, I don't really care. We're part of the problem. <laughs> Absolutely. A hundred percent. I speak to, I speak to my relationship with my son. He's in a for <laughs> a college. Um, I took him to his first concert when he was five. What was it? It was Butch Walker. Oh, nice, dude. Butch is a friend. That's cool. Yeah. (laughs) He was, he was five years old and I was listening to, I liked it better when you had no heart album and he liked the song. She likes hair bands and and, and pretty melody. Yeah. And I listened to it in the car and he had a soccer game at like 10 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday. And I saw, Butch was playing in in uh, just outside of Cincinnati, over mm-hmm. the river in Kentucky at the Southgate House, and uh, it was an all ages show. And I packed up the car before a soccer game. I put him in the car. We drove down to Cincinnati four and a half hours, and then we went to see Butch that night. And he was mesmerized. He was that is so cool. That's yeah. a great story. That's how you parent. That's good parenting. Right? Well, I mean, a lot of parents are nervous about taking their kids to a concert, a rock concert. Let me just let everyone in on a little secret. Your kids are looking up much worse things on their cell phone than what they can see at a concert. Yeah. So I, I would I would think the concert is probably way more vanilla than yeah. what they yeah. have access to. You know, so, I can't imagine. I can't yeah. imagine. Which, 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 I, can't, I can't imagine being being a young kid in this generation like uh, you really can't blame them for flipping over every stone possible. That's what we did too. It's just a lot more accessible now. And on that note, we love, we have a very multi-generational audience and we love when there's kids in the audience, like really young kids and parents take that chance to go, I'm in, I'm indoctrinating my children. And you can just see that, uh, you know, these kids in the front row or first few rows there, they're getting their minds blown and they're getting like, essentially brainwashed and imprinted on and we try to do the best job we can with that and give them a little extra attention at the end of the show they'll get sticks and picks and high fives and it's it's like that so you did that for your son with a great great artist and a great friend with butch and it's probably gonna last maybe forever well we got back from that show the following day <clears throat> he had bought him one of those guitars for Christmas a couple of years prior to that. And it had like the, he was like three or four when I got it. And it had like the colored buttons, right? To to help yeah. run the chords. Yeah, so yeah. he goes up to, in his room and I'm getting all situated and everything. And I walk back in his room and he had pulled the guitar out of his closet. And he was trying to figure out how to play it. And he goes, dad, I want to play, I want to play guitar. <laughs> like really he's like yeah he's like i want to learn how to play so he's been playing now since since you know five six seven years old and you know he just he brought his gibson down at school with him he's trying to find a find some bandmates down at old miss you know to try to try to wreck out to but i've taken him to see rival sons i was on the feral roots tour yeah at the house of blues and um he was he was blown away he just we you know <laughs> But I love that bond that we have with them. And anyone listening that's got young kids, don't try to force it down. Just take them to a concert. When they see a rock show, it doesn't have to be a big arena. It could be a, you know, a small club. It could be whatever. 
when they see that synergy between the audience and the crowd and just the interaction, it's like nothing else they can ever possibly create. It really isn't. There's nothing else that you can show your kid that is equal to that type of feeling at a rock concert. Yeah. Yeah, man, that's cool. And it's not, not just rock. Yes, rock and roll for sure. But those, that kind of experience is important in live. We have to like show them live music on an orchestral level or, or, you know what I mean? Operatic level. If you have the opportunity or jazz in a club, which is harder because they're usually not all ages, but like, you know, all these forms of music, certainly rock and roll too. It's a whole, it's its own breed, you know? Yeah. But, uh, I, I have two kids and I've certainly done my best to do that. They go on tour with me almost every year and um, they get plenty of that. They're on the inside, very deep. But now it's even more interesting. My son plays guitar now too, and he's 16 now. So it's, it's kind of amazing, like watching the monster that I created. Cause I've got all these guitars in the house and amps and effects. And it's not exactly how I started to play guitar, scrounging up a, uh, a classical guitar from the like pawn shop and like kind of working up slowly getting one pedal at a time. He kind of has the keys to the kingdom. So I walk in and he's like plugged into my Esquire guitar into like a cool orange OR 15 with like, you know, handmade treble boosters and like cool echo machines and stuff. It's like, Oh man, I don't know if this is good or bad, but it looks a lot of fun at that age. (laughs) As a, as a father, what's really cool is when you hear him play in the bedroom, and he keeps making mistakes and he keeps going. He keeps trying yeah. to figure it out. That's, yeah. that's when you know you don't got to worry about that kid because he yeah. gets, he gets that like you got to put the time in, you got to put the work in to do it. You can't just put it in your lap and get your hands on the, on the instrument and then magically play it. You got to really put the time in. And, you know, I like that progression when you hear him start playing a song, trying, trying to learn a song. He gets to the solo and he keeps messing it up for hours, but he keeps going. He keeps going. You hear him grunting and swearing in the bedroom, but then he figures it, you know, figures it out. It comes out the other side and it's like, that's awesome. That's great. It's amazing. Yeah. That's powerful, man. Who's your kid's favorite, like top artist that he's doing. It's always like you, they'll gravitate in a, in a certain genre, more or less. What's your kid's genre? Well, if he, if he goes the classic rock rock route, he loves Led Zeppelin. You know, that's like his yes. that's like his favorite. He loves, loves Zeppelin. He loves Van Halen. Um, he loves Rush. He loves that stuff. Uh, modern stuff. He likes Rival Sons. He likes, you know, Dirty Honey. He likes, um, what's the other, Tiger Club he just was been listening to. They're more kind Ooh. of like kind of modern rock side, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Black, black Moods. He loves, loves Butch Walker still. Um yeah, like a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. That's cool, man. Yeah, my kid really took a penchant for, for my uh I'm really big on like garage and, and kinda like underground, harder to find stuff, and he's really uncovering that world and goes goes through my record collection too and digs even deeper than I could ever dig on the Apple music and Spotify basically. It's amazing. It's amazing. When when we were kids, getting records was like you had to find the record. Right. You'd be in a shop and find it and go, oh, my God, Strawberry Alarm Clock, what is this? This is cool. This looks groovy. I want to check it out or or whatever. And uh, uh, Flaming Groovies, what is that? I'm taking it home. I don't even know what it sounds like because it's still shrunk wrap, so I can't or whatever. I listen to it till I get home and listen to it. Um, now you can just go all day and, like, go down the rabbit hole and find the most rare, unbelievable stuff. So he does that, but he's very much in the like Zappa, Jeff Beck, certainly Zeppelin and Page and that too, but he's even digging deeper into like the, the, the guitar weird guitar players from the sixties, the innovators. So it's great to listen to it in the room. Like, Oh, that's very cool. He's kind of got his own little voice. He, he loves thin Lizzie. That's another one. Nice. Yeah. He loves <laughs> Like he, he, he jams to that a lot. Um, but again, like what's cool is just the whole process and seeing him, you know, integrate himself with the music. One of my favorite moments was when I was talking about the guitar and I'm like, listen, I'm like, I love that you like these guitar players, but you got to listen to everything. If you really want to be 
a well-balanced guitar player, someone that is really like, really has the depth in the layers. You got to listen to everything. You got to go, you know, listen to those, those old bluesmen, you know, like oh, yeah. OGs from Chicago. And like two weeks later, I'm in his room and I see my John Lee Hooker album in his room. I see my Otis Rush. So he took to that. He like, you know, he wanted to listen to that. And I'm like, that's how you, you put everything in the pot. It's like a stew, right? Every player plays differently, but a lot of the stew is the same, but it's just how you feel it and how you play it. So that's what's the great thing about guitar. A lot of those players he likes that we talked about before the blues, that's like we talked about the point of spark, the point of like, go follow it back. I remember doing that as a kid uh, pretty heavily at a very young age uh, to the point of making my own slide in the garage and like literally cutting a pipe. We had a bunch of tools in the garage and making my own thing and really just having to figure it out because there wasn't tons of video. The video that I had is what I used and like, oh, okay, I have this on VHS and I could see kind of what they're doing. This is how they're doing slide. And I heard they're doing it at open tunings. I don't really get that, but I'm going to figure it out. And and I can easily realize, oh, Eric Clapton, Cream, there's a lot of B.B. King in there. There's a lot of Robert Johnson and B.B. King in that sound and kind of open that door up or, uh, you know, with so many of the different guys getting back to Freddie King and, and Muddy Waters and, and uh, Sunhouse and so many different players, Howlin' Wolf. Uh, I could see at a very young age where everything kind of came from. It's important to let them know that it's fun. Yeah, yeah. My my two guys are Buddy Guy and Magic Sam. Those are the two guys that I... I love Magic Sam. I love Magic Sam. Um, there's that one video of... Uh, uh, Magic Sam playing on uh, 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 John Lee Hooker's cousin. Uh, 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 what's his name? The other Hooker. He's oh. playing on his uh, guitar. Have you seen this video? It's a black is it, and white is video. it Sam's Boogie? It's Sam's Boogie where he's doing the slapback tone and the yeah. drummer's got his wallet on the snare to yes. mute it. It's black and white? Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. amazing. That is absolutely amazing. Yeah. Incredible. He's finger picking too. He's not using a pick. Yeah. Yeah. It's all, it's all snap. It's the, he's got a lot of snap technique going there. Your guitar playing is very unique. Um, it's, it's got a, inter- a lot of interesting tones, a lot of interesting layers to it. How did you develop your, your tone and your sound? Oh, well, that's probably its own show if we really got, got really nerdy about it, but. <clears throat> Much, much like we're talking about, just kind of um, dig, digging deeper and deeper, you know, and, and 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 kind of understanding where things came from, and being open to what I naturally gravitate to, and what I found um, maybe in my early twenties was that when you mix all this up, this stew. You mix all these influences together. You don't need to be too afraid of those influences or wearing them on your sleeve. That when you mix enough of them up, you start to hear things that are none of them. You start to hear your own lines. You start to hear your own progressions. You start to uh, hear tone that's derivative of four different guys, and it comes together all at once. And it ends up making something a little more original. So I think it's really technical, but really it's very innocent all at the same time. And I think if I tried to speak about it in too technical of a way, it would just maybe be a little pretentious because it's much more um, innocent than that. I'm just such a a fan of so many. I'm a student and a fan of so many artists, and I'm really just trying to distill it and take it in the best I can and then very innocently recreate my version of my favorite things, you know. And if I can sneak in some original thoughts and original lines and sounds, I'm I'm doing the right thing. Stylistically, you have a very unique way of playing and approach, um, which is really cool. It's very different. Um, how did you? I, I, I say this to a lot of guitar players and. I've had a lot of guitar players on recently, but when you when you view the instrument on on its surface, it's very limited. 
right? Just by the way it looks, just by, you know, how many frets it has, how many strings it has. There's only so much you can do, but it's up to the individual guitar player to unlock its limitations. When you're mm-hmm. looking to unlock the limitations of a guitar, how do you start? What's your approach? Hmm. Well, I think you could really quickly look at some 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 of the players that even that I've mentioned, guys like Jeff Beck uh, and and Frank Zappa and Jimmy Page. These these are just the most famous guys. So um, not to mention a slew of, of jazz players or experimental players or or um, folk players. When you start looking at the masters of of the instrument. Um, you almost feel like the guitar is actually limitless, that there's an unlimited amount of inspiration and choices you can make on this instrument, be it uh, modally or tonally or how you're going to shape a sound, you know, because if I play a scale one way with one tone, it's going to have a certain approach and and a certain feel to it. But if you do something as sim- simple as adding a fuzz pedal or a wah pedal and play it with your fingers instead of a pick, it becomes a completely different passage. You know, it, it you get it immediately in a different way. So um, for me, creatively unlocking an instrument, uh, I didn't go to school. So I, I, it's much more like guitar for me is much more like painting. And when I look at guitar, I look at it almost from a, standpoint of like color and texture so when i'm up approaching something new i'll have something predisposed in my mind that i want to play like uh, uh, a picture i want to paint essentially uh, i use a lot of alternate tunings that helps me unlock a lot of stuff but um it's very difficult to i guess to to pinpoint exactly how creativity um sparks because it's different so much do you have one record on one one way you know for instance the the last record we made we spent time making it um and it it was a lot of like kind of going over material and adding to it and removing from it and really perfecting the recipe and uh with other records the creativity just kind of had to move quickly so we were making a record in like 20 days or something. So the, the creative process in, in unlocking the instrument is different in that way. It's much more immediate. And uh, the result could look similar, but the, the way to get there was uh, uh, really different. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com pantheon. Buyraycon.com pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. 
And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica report. And you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Is it more about hearing a melody in your head or hearing a riff in your head? Or is it something that you have the instrument in your hands and you're just kind of noodling and playing and trying to find something? It's both for me. It's both for me. There are times that I will hear a melody and want to recreate it or hear a a texture and a tone with a passage that I want to recreate. Um, And a lot of other times it's just just what we all do. It's a lot of noodling around and exploring every corner or area of an idea. You know, you end up finding a lot of rooms you didn't even know were in there. You pull one board apart and you're like, oh, there's a whole room I didn't see over there. And I'm going to go work over there now. Coming off of Feral Roots, which was a phenomenal album, 2019, great album. Do you guys, as you mentioned, took a long time (laughs) to put out these two albums, Dark Fighter and Lightbringer, which are both phenomenal. Um, What was, how did the process differ from prior to Feral Roots into these two albums? Feral Roots, we took a little extra time, too. We, uh, we, 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 we switched managers at that moment and we're finishing up, uh, with, with, uh, Black Sabbath. So we had done 13 months with Black Sabbath. So we took a moment to kind of go, okay, we're kind of changing a few things that we're doing. Let's take a moment. So with Furrowitz, me and Jay actually went and, uh, spent a couple weeks really just getting the idea together, just the two of us. Let's figure out where we're going to go with this thing that would become Feral Roots. And uh, we spent not that much extra time, maybe uh, an extra 15 days or something finishing that record. Uh, we, we actually went to Muscle Shoals during the recording. Like we had maybe half half the record done. And uh, our producer, Dave Cobb, said, you know what? I got a, like basically a wild hair at my ass and an idea. I think we should, uh, my dog Gypsy here. Um, I think we should go to Muscle Shoals. I have a connection. We can go to that room and I think it'll like open up creativity in another direction. Let's do it. Who wants to do it? And we went, yes, let's do that. And we did actually end up capturing, uh, like maybe four of the songs on the record there and they have a whole different vibe, but we spent an extra 15 days maybe making that record from our other records, which were generally Inside of a month. Um, these were Lightbringer and Darkfighter were records that we made during the pandemic. So we couldn't get into the studio. Yeah, scoot over. We couldn't get into the studio. There you guys go. <laughs> She's really into this. <laughs> <laughs> we couldn't get in with Dave. Uh and we actually wanted to spend a little more time just really understanding which direction we wanted these records to go. You know, we felt like, like, uh, uh, Roots was like a gnarly step forward for us. It was like, this was something different for us creatively. And we had to make an even bigger step forward with Dark Fighter and Pharaoh and, uh, Lightbringer. I'm sorry. So we wanted to take the extra time, but we didn't want to take two years. That wasn't exactly what we were thinking. That seems nightmarish to me. Like after making records in 25 days or 20 days, the the thought of like, we're going to spend two years picking through songs and, you know, through the whole record and fine toothing it. Oh, that just sounds just so much labor going into it. How could it still be cool? But with this, we found a way, I feel, that made it really work. And that was, we didn't sit on anything too long. We worked and moved and worked and moved and worked and moved and kind of backlogged it and then went into the studio for a week and captured a bunch of stuff. And we didn't always share stuff with the guys. So when we decided to 
recorded, it was still very off the floor and very live and very inspired, you know, but then we could go back and kind of reflect on which color we needed to paint into this picture, like what kind of song we need next. And that, that giving us a little extra time to me, in my opinion, allowed us to create uh, a, a pair of records that does something a little more uh, broad and, and cinematic and, and speaks in a different way. I do agree with that. I think Feral Roots was a, was a very observant record with, with some of the songs on there, you know, very observant in terms of writing and the lyrics. And I felt this album was more introspective and atmospheric, you know, had a different type of vibe to it, um, which I felt was really interesting and uh, how the band approached it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, we we wouldn't have been able to make these records without Pharaoh Roots, that's for sure. And I think you could say that pretty much about every one of our records. It's uh, and maybe everyone says this. I mean, it's really been a a push out from the last record for us. We're, we're certainly trying to not make the same record over and over, and we're certainly trying to push into a new direction to where it's almost audible. And you can feel this when you listen to it as a, as a listener, not just us. We want our, the people coming with us, people like you that have been listening to us for a decade to go, wow, they're not actually resting on laurels. They're actually trying to move in a direction without completely alienating the audience. And this sounds elementary or maybe everyone thinks they do that, but in, in, in all reality, we don't hear a lot of artists that do that. Band, I think a band like Led Zeppelin did do it. And their their records sound different. You really hear them push out. Like when you get to Presence, it sounds so different from Zeppelin 1. You know? These are like these are different bands. They're using different keyboards. They're, the arrangements are way beyond, you know? And um, similarly... For for us and and our type of music that we're making in the Rival Sons pantheon, we're like trying to do that that same thing, and it's just taken the record before us to get there. It's like a bridge. We couldn't cross over until we built that bridge. You know, even a record like Hollow Bones for us, which was probably our most underrated album. When when I go back and listen to it, I don't think this is a dog. I think this record's great. This record's important. We needed to make this record. And this is, we meant this. It's honest. You know, this is a real record for us. And it is what led to, to making Feral Roots. You know, we had just pushed out enough on that record that we felt real focused on Feral Roots. And we had just opened up the space enough on Feral Roots that we could make Dark Fighter and Lightning. That's an interesting that you mentioned presence in the album and Led Zeppelin because in the conversations I've had with people about the two new Rival Sons albums, I've I've mentioned that where first listen, you, you're ready to hear what you heard on Feral Roots, and it's not Feral Roots; it's different. But if you stay with it, you get it. You get it after like the second or third spin. And I like it when a band challenges the listener. I like when a band challenges themselves, and I like and I mentioned this in the top. 25 albums of the year for 2020 episode where I ranked Lightbringer in the top 25. I liked it that you guys are not sitting on your rolls. You're trying to push yourselves forward. And when you look at some of the stuff that was released by Zeppelin, whether Led Zeppelin three or presence, you know, those are the two albums that people were not, did not really accept and absorb well in the beginning. Yeah. But over time, now you talk about Led Zeppelin three with people in presence. Those are great albums. Those are like some of their best stuff on there. And I think, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think I love the two new Rival Sons albums, but it does challenge the listener, which I love. And I love the fact that you guys kind of went outside your your box of creativity to try to find something different. I always admire when an artist does that. I think also something I learned from a band like Led Zeppelin is it's okay to move forward while embracing what you always were. And that's cool. Like, like you don't have to become unrecognizable. You can still put a, 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 a custard pie on the record. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That almost could live on Zeppelin too. 
and it's on Fizz Graph. Like that works for me, you know? So we have songs like Sweet Life that you're like, holy shit, that track sounds like it could be from before the fire. You know, that's nine records ago. These guys are still those guys, but they're also, uh, uh, they're also still Dark Fighter, the track, or they're, they're you know, Mosaic, or they're, they're these tracks too. They're, this is a different band, you know, that could have never made those songs then. And I think we hear that on a lot of those, those uh, later Zeppelin records. You still hear a little bit of them in, in, you know, 68 or whatever. Going into this album, you mentioned, you know, the differences. Was that something that you really honed in on you and Jay, when you were in the initial stages of creating, like that you wanted to do kind of a, an album that makes, I'll use the word uncomfortable, like makes you uncomfortable with the creative process because you're kind of stretching yourselves or did it just happen organically? It uh, happens organically, man. Yeah. yeah. Um, again, I just think if as artists, when we put too much idea into premeditating things, it, it takes away a bit of the punch, you know, and, and, it can water down the, the end result to me, or it can just sound in speaking about it a little pretentious because I think a lot of times artists like to, in, in retrospect, put a lot of import, self-importance and uh, kind of inflate how, how much they were focused and, and, and had premeditated what they wanted to do when really I think what most of us are doing is creating as honestly and immediately as we can. And maybe that's me and the people I know, but that's what I find it is more than not. It's inspirational. It's off, off the top of your head. It's in the moment. And as things take shape, you can kind of refine it. But I, I think when we set out to create one thing too much, it's it's difficult. It's difficult, and and it becomes uh, binding. You know. Yeah. Yeah. It's so like, instead of binding ourselves, we have what's in our heart, and we have we have an idea of wanting to do something bigger. We have musical ideas already. We know we were latching onto that, like, like parts that me and Jay had started to work on that were like, this is a broad idea. This isn't going to be a three minute song. This is going to be a nine minute song. I know that this is something big and it's going to work in suites, but it's not too exact yet. Like even in a song like dark fighter, we knew there was going to be a section we wanted to keep free and have these bookends of the storytelling happen. And that middle section we cut live. That middle section is us playing together. We constructed the bookends and that middle section we improvised when we laid it down. And frankly, when we laid it down, we didn't say, okay, this is the take. Everyone play the, exactly what they want here. We were being real. We were being very natural. Let's get it down. Let's get what we can. Let's hear it. Let's sketch it out. Let's sketch it out and just see how we feel about the sketch. Then we pulled away and went, I don't know if that's the sketch. I think that may be the final. That is it. I think that thing just happened that we wanted. And you just don't know. And I, I like the idea of not being too premeditated in the work. Because when I see that and or hear that in other art or in music, I feel turned on by that. I feel excited by that. I can see it in the painting. I can feel it and hear it in music. And, and that's when I admire an artist the most, when I know they didn't premeditate it, when I know that it's like that just came from their heart or their hands or their voice. This is not something they thought about. It wasn't about thinking. It was about feeling. And there's a beautiful thing to art like that. It's, it's, that's magical art, you know? So we try to keep that kind of ethos uh, with our band as much as we can. I think of the, the comment that people make about trying to, you know, push themselves to be authentic. Well, how do you push yourself to be authentic, right? I mean, authentic just kind yeah. of happens. And I, I think that's the the gist of what you said is like, hey, just go in there and just feel it and just, you know, play what you feel would sound good here. Play what you feel would, would come next. That's a magic that's just unbelievable. 
I saw this great quote. Maybe you'll help me. It, it was something John John Mayer had said about playing the blues the same. Um, it was gosh, what I'm gonna someone's gonna know this that's listening, but it was essentially like, uh, uh, oh, he said he said uh, playing the blues like a cover note for note is like playing the same lotto numbers over and over again. And I thought that's cool. That's a smart way to look at it. It's uh, it's not how music works, you know. It's not how good art works anyway. It's not how good music works. And uh, I think we try to uh, just keep, like I said, keep those that ethos and that that idea in our hearts. You know, certainly there are things that we build that you will come to see us live, and it is note for note. It's the part. That's the part. But but in our music and in so much music, obviously, there is free time. There's time where you're going to get something different every single night. And that happens in every single song we play every single night. There's not a song where it's like that is the same every night. These guys are like clockwork. It's just that's how it goes. It will never be that. I don't have interest in that. That sounds like. For me, like a nightmare. Like that seems nightmarish just to like have to land on the spot every night and just like, that's what it is. And it seems like a nightmare to watch that too. So. Well, I still remember, I won't mention the name of the band, but they did a big reunion, they did a big reunion tour in the mid nineties. And I went and saw them, this place called Alpine Valley in Wisconsin, just over the border of Illinois. Great show. Loved it. Saw him like six months later in Chicago, same exact show. Like, all right, that was kind of cheesy. And then I bought a bootleg of the show from Giant Stadium. And all three shows from the things they said in between were exactly the same. And I was like, yeah, that kind of sucks. Rough. <laughs> That's rough. And there, there are things that when you say things to an audience and you're on a particular tour, you have to realize we're playing to a different audience every night. So there is one part to a show where it's, this is the show, but there, it, it, is, is there a line for that? Yeah, I think so. And like you said, you were, this turned you off. Like, uh, I'm not getting something out of his heart. I'm getting something read from a script and that's shit. I don't want that. I want to feel like we're enjoying the moment together, like our moment. And I think that's, that's uh, fair. I don't think every every single part of a show every night is going to be that. But I think uh, the best artist, artists I look up to, there was a lot of that. There's a lot of that. And that's what I'm pretty much promising anybody who comes to our shows. That's what you're going to get. It will be your show. Such to a degree that when I'm doing – I, on the last tour – on different tours, I'll do guitar solos. Other tours, I don't even care. I won't, I won't do them. This last tour, um, I, I do a guitar solo just to, you know, just by, by myself. And there are nights where before I get up to do it, uh, we prod each other about these things. And, you know, Jay will tell me, just totally go left. Like, you know where you go over here. Just go over there where you've never been. That's the kind of advice we give each other. Just go where you're completely, entirely coming up to make you're cutting a new road. And there are nights where I'll just cut a new road. And some of those nights you completely rug it. That's part of it. (laughs) You know, you're going to try to do something very improvised and feel the moment and go, well, that was shit. It wasn't there. It wasn't what I wanted to be. And it just, it didn't, Things didn't fall the way I wanted. Maybe it's shit for me. Maybe it's wonderful for somebody else. I don't know. But um, that happens. This is what you're getting when you come to our show. It's it's a real group of people really trying to like give you something that's yours and ours in that moment. That's cool. That's cool. I, I 100% agree. When you think of the spirit of music in the 60s and 70s and portions of the 80s and early 90s too the reason why music sticks around in in the essence and the spirit of it why why we still talk about led zeppelin today 
is because of what they did and how they yes. did it. And, yeah. you know, when you think of music now, I was having this conversation with, uh, with someone a couple of weeks ago, you know, Stairway to Heaven could not be made now because it doesn't fit an algorithm or it's too long. Cashmere would get returned by the record label. Well, it can certainly be made. We just made a nine minute song. It you can, can be made. It, you're right. You're right. It, it can be made. But it it's won't not going to get played on like AOR radio. It's not going to get played on mainstream radio like right. like Stairway does. Yeah. Right. And how how did we get to that point where we don't allow ourselves to 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 be an audience to that, or we do in a way like the fans do? But like, how do we move from those great epic songs that really was the catalyst to music in the '60s and '70s to everything being in an algorithm and everything being like it just is kind of boring. You know, it's like everything is the same. Everything has to fit into an algorithm. Everybody has to, everything has to have a, you know, so many beats per second, or it's just not going to get played in the mainstream. And again, do we, well, one thing we learned and you'll agree with me, Jay, cause yeah. you, you talk to a lot of people and you listen to music <laughs> in a certain way. Uh, and it's that thing. We always hear that word. We we always hear cyclical. Things are cyclical. So we're, we're in a moment where this is what's happening and the algorithms are, are running everything. And, you know, people want things this way and different types of music are in where they are right now. And this is how we're listening. And the biggest way people discover new music now are 15 second clips on TikTok. That's fucking asinine. That's ridiculous, but it's what's happening right now. Um, but it's this is all part of it. It this is it has to be this right now. Like we have to uh, exercise this. We have to go through this to to build that bridge to get to that next spot. And that next spot's going to be exciting. This spot's exciting. I mean, look, we're talking about stairway being on the radio, but who gives a shit about radio? I mean, I love radio too. Don't get me wrong. I'm a huge radio guy, but I'm saying also, who gives a shit? We all have playlists. We have infinite amounts of music on our phones, on our person, not in our record collection at home, like not in our stacks of vinyl and stuff. We have in my pocket, I have everything you could ever want to listen to for the rest of your life times a hundred. That's new. That's different. That's exciting. Um, that that people are discovering rock and roll that would never listen to it because it becomes a 15 second TikTok clip. That's exciting. That's interesting that we're digesting music in a new way. Even if we don't like it, even if we hate it and think this is ridiculous, think about it. It's actually exciting and interesting and it's got to turn a corner. You know, we're constantly turning corners here. Um, so I'm choosing to embrace what's happening then repel it like get off on my lawn like back in the day we listened to whole albums well you can still do that you can put it in your head and listen on because it's in your pocket you can listen to the whole zeppelin catalog without having to go buy it and go home you can listen to it all day it's right here on your side it's it's uh and times a million you can just go listen to everybody they influence you can google who influenced and who they ripped off and go get into who they ripped off and have it immediately and listen to it and you don't ever have to listen to radio because you can just go to people's uh recommendations and and podcasts and uh playlists and we're in a new we're in a new world the tricky thing is how do the artists get people to listen to music because when radio ruled, we know how they found it through radio. So what's the easiest thing to do? Pay the radio off to play my record. So I know they're going to hear it and I have a career, you know? So the tricky thing is how do people hear a band like rival sons, you know, um, in the pile of billions of artists they have access to now? Great question. <laughs> when you have the answer please hit me up because i'm over here wanting everyone to hear it and enjoy it but i don't have the answer i've had to kind of like take my hand off the wheel um much much more than ever and go i'm i make music that's what i do for a living and i want to do that as purely and as genuinely for my heart as i can and i perform it 
And I want to do those things really in a pure, natural, honest state. That's my job. That's my job. Um, people getting it and digesting it and finding it. I work with people that help me do that. And I have to kind of depend on them because we're in a different landscape than we ever were. And it's, we can cry about it or we can embrace it and, and buckle up and like get, get with it. You know, that was a sermon. (laughs) (laughs) Can I get an amen? That was a sermon. I just uh, kicked back and listened to that. That was great. Um, yeah, I, I think you're you're right a lot. I think the key is finding the listener and how do we find the listeners? And I think, I think, and I've mentioned this before, is when you look at other genres of music, let's just compare it to country. Country has infrastructure, right? They've got, you know, the the, the TV channel, the CMAs, they've got, legacy artists and country bringing out new artists and it seems where rock and roll is very more fragmented and it doesn't have that infrastructure that country has to kind of keep itself in front of audiences i think it's all over the place you can get it here you can get it there you can get it over there it's not like i, I mean i i i could say some somewhat controversial stuff in this moment about country uh i love Good old country. I love a, a lot of country artists now too. There's great, there's great artists out there making country music. I think, well, it's terrible you're taping this, but I'm going to say this to you just for fun. Uh, I feel like country music may be where glam rock was in the 80s. I've said that before. Yes. Okay, good. And right. I, I don't want to offend anybody, but where rock and roll had all the roots to be king of the world and all, all the connection, it was the king of the world. And country wasn't really doing shit then. It was just all right. I mean, we had a lot of country going on in the 80s, don't get me wrong. We had our Dolly Partons and Kenny Rogers all day long. And so many other people, too. But hey, you know what I'm hey, saying? Six Pack, six pack is a classic movie. That's not yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. I was I'm trying to explain to my kids. They don't even know what a Kenny Rogers is. I'm like, this guy was the greatest. He had a TV show. Like he was so popular. He was a major celebrity. Yeah. Anyway, uh, rock and roll though in the eighties was super king and coming out of the sixties into the seventies. It was just, we was all muscle. It was all protein and just like, Oh my God, rock and roll will never end. And then here it goes. The eighties starts to do really amazing shit with rock and roll. And by the middle, you're going, this is starting to look like a wet noodle. It's not really working. And actually a lot of other music around it is starting to look a lot more provocative and interesting and like, like, like smart and like pushing forward. And rock and roll seems like it's like kind of sitting in its own nasty fluid. Like, ah, my God, it's it's consuming itself. And it did. It eventually just consumed itself and metamorphosized into this new creature, you know? And it, it, it eventually was like, there was like almost like a death nail. Not that rock and roll ever went away and ever will, but you know what I mean? On a popular front. Yeah. And I think we probably might agree that country is not country anymore. Like, like what is going down as country, there is some real corny plastic shit in that world that was really kind of embodied wholesome Americana, like values, like like the 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 makings of, of America were in country and western, you know? And it's just really there's a lot of off color stuff going on with country right now and it just feels like maybe this is just going to consume itself. Probably. I, think, I Yeah, I think it's on that path. Like, I love Nikki Lane. Nikki Lane is like an outlaw country artist. She's fantastic. She's awesome. Yeah. Nikki yeah. Lane is great. Absolutely. Yeah. And then I listen to the, the pop. I mean, country. you can't go wrong with Chris Stapleton. Yeah, Chris Stapleton is phenomenal. Absolutely. I mean, they have a head on the dragon. They got artists like that are like, okay, well, that's as legit as it comes, you know? And then we there's outshoots, and what's really great is we have great America, great Americana artists like Isbell, you know? Like, and that kind of is linked to country somehow. It's like a, it's another arm or whatever. And so there's great, great artists right now. Um, but there's also what's very, very popular. It's very, I mean, like, I watched, like, like New Year's 
specials we could see like and it was all country their nashville new year's special and i'm like i don't know who any of these people are and i'm not sure if any of this feels like real country music at all it feels like something else again cyclical <laughs> yeah, I, I, we're, we're, we're in a cycle and country western is is uh crushing it right now yeah i i think you're right i think you know everything you know, it did consume itself, you know, late eighties and early nineties. It got very cookie cutter and country, you know, like I said, Nikki Lay and Chris Stapleton are great, but then you listen to stuff about a six pack and a pickup truck and you're like, what am I listening to? What, what is this? You know, it's like, it, it just doesn't have that same feeling to it. Like when, you know, the Conway Twitties and the Merle Haggards and the, and the temples of the day, you know, like those guys were, were badasses back, back in the seventies and eighties. And the truth is, it's just a whole entirely different thing. Yeah. It's a, it's a different thing. It's, it's the same way rock and roll had to go through all that, the, that, all those hair bands that basically survived on their ballads in the end, you know, and their outfits and their hair. It's just, it had to consume itself. That's part of it. That's part of it. We have to let things cycle because they will become stagnant. And it just happens to be that they kind of, run themselves into the ground. It's like, that's like what we do as humans. You know what I mean? We like find the cheapest way to do something and then just go with that and then just burn it all the way down. <laughs> and then something new happens. We'll end with that. That's a perfect way to end. Thank you, Scott, for this great conversation. The sermon, <laughs> the preacher, Scott Holliday <laughs> from Rival Sons. It was awesome. I loved it. Thanks, Jay. Happy to be here. Happy to chat with you. We'll hopefully see you in Chicago soon. Ooh, I love Chicago. You're bringing your son next time. Bring him backstage. We got some We got some high fives and drumsticks and guitar picks. Awesome. Look forward to it. Once again, it. everyone, that is Scott Holiday from the Rival Sons. All the band's information will be in the show notes for both Dark Fighter and uh, uh, Lightbringer. So get both those albums. Fantastic records from 2023. Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in. Take care of each other. Stay safe, and we will talk soon. Thank you. Joy, heartache, happiness, and pain. What you want is out of reach, so reach out again. The glowing, the fading, the drowning rain. Who doesn't want to live forever? Learn and refute You think you've heard it all Until you hear the truth The trial and the air Of an outlived youth You think you know yourself at all In this mosaic of laughter and tears It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.